is lithium ion batteries has created its own class. You, we are no longer legacy and modern. That that is all we have to worry about. And in fact, I can tell you a flash over time. You know, in a, in a modern construction home, we're looking you know somewhere around thirty five, forty five seconds, right? Realistically, you know, without accelerants. Right. Um, but we are we are seeing complete flashover with one of these things going into thermal runaway. In 20- Responses, Job Talks podcast members do not represent the cities and towns they work for in their views and opinions. They are views and opinions that belong to us only. We are not here trying to be the experts or tell people how to do their job. Our goal with this show is simply to facilitate All knowledge. All right, guys. What's up? Welcome back. And uh, thanks for joining us live here with Paul Shoemaker. Paul, thanks for coming, man. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Um, so before we get going, I just wanted to... Uh, to take a moment to give a shout out to uh to phil from newton fire so paul you'd put something on your uh facebook or instagram i don't remember what it was and uh phil tagged us in that and we reached out to you and this is kind of how we ended up here so i just wanted to give him a shout out um we're gonna be talking about lithium-ion batteries and fires hazards tactics all that stuff today so make sure if you have any questions you put them in our chat uh, barry and john are working on the back end today um they're gonna be filtering questions to us so um, we'll dive right into it, Paul. You want to just start by uh, giving us an intro. Let us know about yourself, how you got into this, um, what you're doing right now, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so oddly enough, uh, I've been in the fire service for about 15 years, and and funny thing is, is that the company's name was Next Level Extrication because what what I really was heavily involved in uh, 15 years ago was was extrication, and I uh, basically. Uh, was thriving around the fact that uh, modern vehicles were changing and they were becoming more electric from hybrids. Um, you know, back in I think 2009 is when I caught wind of of like then uh, this all electric vehicle coming out, which was Tesla, which ended up coming out in 2012. And so this progression really just focused me on this extrication side of things and and pushing myself through that extrication side of things. I ended up meeting some uh, some pretty cool people. And getting to do some some video training videos for Tesla, um, and through that process of the training videos with Tesla, um, I ended up getting in contact with NFPA um, and starting to do some work with NFPA. And and what basically I focus on is uh, anything from adoption. So you know, on the, on the consumer side of things, how do we get people to adopt more of these things? All the way to like currently what I'm doing is writing training videos with uh, two other individuals. Um, one's a battalion chief, one's a retired captain out of Detroit. And now what we're doing is basically going to create training videos, everything from electric vehicles um, all the way to stored energy panels um, and, and scooter fires and things like that. And they'll be like training modules type of things that you've seen through NFPA before. And so doing all that work with NFPA and, and getting kind of involved with that, I ended up starting to work with UL 
And at UL, what I do is I sit on an advisory panel for kind of a couple different advisory panels. One is um, ESS, so stored energy systems. So that's batteries that are associated with solar panels, uh, their, their fire behavior, their reactions, uh, whether they're confined or not confined. Um, and then I cover on another advisory panel, everything electric vehicle related. So kind of like what's the suppression thoughts behind it? What tactics are we going to use? And, and we're, we're kind of going through that whole process of testing things and, and all that type of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's kind of where that's put me. And then having that knowledge base, I ended up um, starting to teach people a long time ago. It was probably about eight years ago and I was doing it for free. And, uh, you know, having a wife uh, and a brand new kid at the time being, my wife was like, you're not going to teach for free. You're going to start getting out there and, uh, <laughs> and start making some money. So I charged very, very little for a little bit. And then, yeah, it just kind of spiraled from there. Uh, and now I'm just so uh, involved in it and passionate about it that I kind of try to get out to as many people as I can and, and speak to them about what I'm seeing on, on my end of things from all the testing we're doing at UL to uh, being a firefighter for 15 years and seeing how that's correlating with what's going to happen to us on the fire grounds if we're, if we're not safe. And, and so that's right. why it's, it's very, very passionate about getting out and making sure that I actually speak in front of people and try to try to save a life kind of at this point. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And so, so um, you've been in the fire service for 15 years and next level extrication is your own company. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. I'm the owner of it. And then I, I you know, for the, the lithium ion battery side of things, it's, so much information. I don't have anybody that helps me with it because it's all in my head. It's not right. stuff that I can write down on a piece of paper and teach people overnight how to go teach firefighters. But I do have a couple adjuncts and, and primary instructors that work with me on the extrication side of things. So right. And we talked about this. Um, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. We were setting up the show. You said there's really only like seven people or so that are involved at the level that you're involved in in the country with with the, with. Uh, developing plans and and doing all this testing with lithium ion? Yeah. You know, I mean, from the firefighter side of things, you know, there's a lot right. of people heavily involved to try to make this work, but, and I would, you know, seven is, it is more like leaning towards like people that I would trust to teach this to firefighters. Uh, I do think that there's some other people out there that are, um, that, that, that could get the information out, but then they can't transition that to what does that mean for us on the job? And so, Right. Across, across the country, sure, you're going to have people out there that that have some a, a very base knowledge of this stuff. It's actually scarier uh, that these people want to try to go write articles or teach people uh, without actually seeing the fire behavior. I mean, I, I would feel guilty even teaching to people if I wasn't watching it happen at UL. I wasn't heavily involved in in everything all the way from the adoption. I think you learn a lot of things like that. So. When right. I'm speaking that, I'm kind of just saying at the caliber that I feel safe where people would not get injured, there's probably maybe seven to 10 across the United States. Now, is there, there's a lot of people who have a base knowledge, probably hundreds, but that's right. the scary time. We don't want to be teaching people with, unless we have the accurate information about these things. And so right. even with that being said, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at all. We're constantly learning. I changed my PowerPoint probably last year. I counted, I think I changed it eight times in 2022 from January till December. So I can't even say that I'm, I'm on top of it. We're, I'm just trying my best with everybody involved, but um, unless you're completely in this 24 seven, I don't understand how anybody could be 
uh, keeping up with this stuff. It's, it's right. changing so fast. So, so passing along the most current information that you have, which is obviously the, the most important part of it. Yeah, um, and you you do a lot of teaching. So I uh, just wanted to bring up uh, you're at FDIC next week, right? Yeah, I will be out there for. Um, so typically when I teach this class, um, I do a, a, a hand, hands on and I do a PowerPoint. Sometimes I do PowerPoint in the morning. We rotate crews out and I just do a PowerPoint again in the afternoon for a different crew. Sometimes I do a hands on and then I do or I mean a PowerPoint in the morning and hands on in the afternoon. And it's good to two options. But with that being said, it's an hour, it's about a four and a half hour PowerPoint and about a four and a half hour hands-on. Uh, I'm very happy that FDIC has, has allowed me to be a part of it because they are they are incredible at trying to get out to the fire service and, and it's awesome to be, to be in that <laughs> position, but I'm only able to talk for an hour and 45 minutes on a four and a half hour PowerPoint. So it's right. gonna be a compressed, slammed in, jam packed, as much information as I can give the people in an hour and 45 minutes. And then I'm just gonna encourage people to find me outside walking around if they wanna shoot uh, some stuff out at me and, and we can hammer it out at, at, at a drink or have a something at a bar. I don't know, you know, but that's, right. that's where I'm a little pressed. I don't know how this is going to work because I had to really work hard over the last couple of months of compressing it down to an right. hour and 45, but yeah, I'm going to be out there. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, kind of similar situation here, right? We're going to run probably about an hour and a half or so here. Um, big thing is that we would love to take questions. So, um, if you're sitting back, uh, watching right now. I know we have some viewers on uh, the YouTube stream right now. So if you are watching, please ask questions. Nothing lithium ion battery related is off limits. Is that right, Paul? Here to yeah, answer no, anything I, you can. Honestly, dude, if, if people want to ask me everything from lithium ion batteries to my life, I, I, I'm pretty open, man. And I, and I thoroughly enjoy talking to firefighters across the country. So for me, uh, I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. Uh, right. I, no question is a stupid question. Um, I'll just embarrass you on, on a live feed, but that's, that's no big deal. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking. We, you know, honestly, if, if you don't shoot out the question or think that your question is stupid, uh, I can guarantee you out of, as long as I've been doing this, somebody else has that exact same question. I'm sure people have heard that a million times. So, uh, right. I thrive off of the questions because it keeps the atmosphere, uh, moving. So absolutely shoot them out. Anything you have, uh, we can hammer it out. All right. Uh, I'll kick us off to get going and then maybe uh, hopefully we'll get some people asking questions in the in the chat on YouTube. Or if you're again, if you're um, on social media and you want to write something there, uh, send us a message or whatever. We have uh, those guys watching it. So um, just to jump right into it, Paul, where do you see like the biggest threat of lithium ion batteries? Like, is it e-bikes and scooters? Is it vehicles? Is it uh, stored energy from solar panels? Where do you see the biggest threat to firefighters coming from lithium ion batteries? Um, the, the biggest thing I could say is all lithium ion battery is a threat to us based on the fact that we are inexperienced in understanding its capacity and what it could do. And how I look at it is when we look at the, the history of the fire service, we went from um, legacy construction and prior to my time getting in the fire service, but still early on in my fire service, we were still I mean, even to today, we're still talking about how modern is burning faster and, and we have less time before flashover and we're vent limited fires before we even get on scene and, and all of these things. And we're still trying to teach the new people plus the, the, the people that came in 15, 20 years ago. Um, and so now what, what has happened is lithium ion batteries has created its own class. You, we are no longer legacy and modern. That, that is all we have to worry about. 
And in fact, I can tell you a flash over time, you know, in a, in a modern construction home, we're looking, you know, somewhere around 35, 45 seconds, right? Realistically, you know, without accelerants. Right. Um, but we are, we are seeing complete flashover with one of these things going into thermal runaway in 20 seconds. Um, and wow. so, you know, that, that is the concern. So if we look at that transition, we were originally like what, three minutes and 45 seconds with something like that with legacy. And we went to 35, 45 seconds modern. And now we're talking, I'm telling people, you got 20 seconds. You could be in a fire when this thing decides to go into full thermal runaway and, and then flash itself. And when it flashes itself, it goes from temperatures that we're seeing, like, honestly, just room temperatures. I don't know where you live or which, where your state is, but anywhere, you know, say it's 60 degrees in your house from 60 degrees to 1200 degrees in two seconds. And then what it ends up doing is, is calming itself down, but as low as it will calm itself down at this point in time is to about 500 degrees. And so what I'm saying now, that initial one was was 1200 degrees in two seconds. But now what will happen is the fire will build itself back up and it may go from 1200 all the way down to 500. Now is when I'm saying we set that timer and that timer from 500 back to fully flashed over inside that room is 20 seconds. And so whether we're dealing with a lithium ion battery where I see the risk the one place I would tell you that if you if you really trained hard or if you ever took my my lithium ion battery fire course, you would really see that the vehicle on the side of the road is just a it's just a tactical nightmare. It's not necessarily a problem. And right. once we understand it and we've worked through it and we've trained it, I can, I pretty much feel every class I've taught, I ask the people at the end of the four hours and four and a half hours and I go, do you feel comfortable handling these things on the side of the road now? And everybody's like, yes. I mean, right. Um, so that isn't a problem because it's outside in an outside environment. Now, do I think there could still be a problem associated with that? Absolutely, because these cur- these cars are burning at 2,800 degrees. If it burns at 2,800 degrees and you're in a parking garage, that's outside technically. Say it's an above right. ground parking garage. Um, that is a totally different nightmare that we are going to, that, that is incredibly dangerous. If it's hooked to a charger in a parking lot, well, that's incredibly dangerous because it's being fed f- fuel from the electricity, but it's also a live electrical line. And if it decides to burn through that electrical line, you now have an open wire hanging around. And, or, and if you spray water at that, you're basically spraying water at like a, an open junction box. I mean, um, right. so it can have its nightmares and its dangers being out in the open. I'm not going to say it's, it's not. I think the percentage is way less. But one of these things that's encapsulated, whether we're talking about a car now in a garage, an ESS system, which is obviously PV systems on your roof being stored by batteries either, and they can be stored in three locations. It can be stored in your garage, on the outside of your garage, or it can be stored in your basement. If one of those decides to go and do its thing while it's encapsulated, that's incredibly dangerous. So now we got a car in a garage that's incredibly dangerous, uh, ESS batteries stored, incredibly dangerous. And now you're talking about putting scooters inside these structures. And I'm telling you that they, in two seconds, when they decide to let it rip, uh, it goes from 50 degrees ambient temperature all the way up to 1200. When does it hit that 1200? I mean, if you're in there doing a search on an odor investigation and there's a smoke filled house with cold ambient temperatures, but bank down smoke to the floor, 
and you're just in there trying to find out what's going on in there and it finally decides to find its ignition point and and flash over it's in two seconds and um and so your gear is going to instantly combust into flames uh, do i think you'll you'll be able to put yourself out you know i don't you know obviously i think it'd take a minute to burn you probably through your gear but you're going to probably be on fire and right. and it just depends on how close you are to that there's a lot of uh of scenarios that we could we could role play on and and talk about but i just i want to look at it as in today if it doesn't happen then that's a good day but i want people to look at it as we know it's a potential that what i'm saying right now could happen so look at it as the worst scenario sure but the worst scenario is what's going to kill a firefighter it's not it's not the one that it oh that didn't happen and then you walk away high-fiving each other like man all this stuff they're talking about lithium-ion batteries that's not true no you're just lucky that day like i, I right. hate to put it that way it just didn't do what it has the potential to do and and you arrived too early or you arrived after it already did it you didn't hit that right point where that could have taken you out and so right but you know that that i hope that covers like how serious it could be and then also right. uh, not so serious so right and one of the things I want to talk about, and this leads into our first question we got here, was um, we talk about <clears throat> when you when you get these calls, or at least the couple I've I've been to, um, and I haven't had any like fires out of them, just that they burned kind of self-contained and really extend. But you show up, and you're not getting that like dark black smoke that says, "Hey, this is a fire." You kind of have that like white, almost steam looking smoke, and so people aren't necessarily masking up right away. And so our first question here is from Drew Hernandez from uh, Orange County Fire Authority. And he he's asking, um, do you have a good list of like toxic gases that are coming off these uh, LI batteries versus like a nickel um, cadmium battery? Yeah, stand by. Um, I'm going to try to share my screen and I hope this picture is in here. So it wasn't one that I put in my little list. Yeah, here it is. So here's here's uh, I'm going to share my screen real quick and I'm going to just show you a, a uh, quick picture of what's what is actually being put off from these chemicals. Uh, I will tell you that what we are studying right now is the question would be how toxic is it for you and what would happen to you? We are still testing that stuff. Um, and so let's see here how the window, there we go. Boom, boom. So this is a good idea of what, what what's what's happening. Can everybody see that picture there? Does that look good on your screen? Yeah, I can see it. Yep, you're up. Um, so those are, those are the chemicals. There is nothing about it other than it, everything you see there. Now, red is flammable and blue is just toxic gases, non-flammable, right? But the problem is, um, what does this do to your life? Um, it, it's, it's, we don't know. We just know that it is the worst thing the fire service has ever seen. So we already know that a standard structure fire with modern polyurethane foams and these couches, what they're doing to us. From a um, from a perspective of um, causing us cancer, possibly and those types of things, um, what is that going to do to our life? We just we just know that we are not recommending. I don't care if you see the lightest wisp of this gas coming off of this thing. Um, we're recommending that you don't go near it unless you're on air. And so, to add to a little bit of a problem out on the street, even if it's a car fire that we just say, you know what, we're just going to suppress it the way that we were taught, whether you were taught by somebody else or taught by me, 
And then you're going to think that you put water on it. And at this point in time, it's done doing what it's doing. Sometimes these things are still putting off gases that you can't see. And so the, the real thought process behind this is now you're going to be, let's say it's a two, a standard evolution is probably two hours, roughly around there. But some of the more serious cases are four, four or five hours. If you're around this vehicle for four or five hours, you're going to have to be, every time you approach it, you're going to have to be back on air. There's just no right. way to know when it's putting off that gas or not. I would say comfortably, you know, there is a method to know when this thing's pretty much out. The at that point in time, you could feel pretty comfortable saying, all right, I'm not going to do that. But I will tell you that then that car goes to a junkyard. And what we tell the junkyard people is that car will sit in a parking lot uh, with 25 feet in every direction. And it will sit there for two weeks before you will do anything with it, meaning move it in next to other cars or whatever it is. So it has the potential to do it again up to two weeks. I leave that up to the policies and procedures that the organization wants to write. I personally just don't want to risk my lung capacity uh, on some nasty toxic chemicals like this when all I'm really trying to do is work so I can retire to spend some time with my kids. You know, right. the last thing I want to do is lose my life to, to some, some nasty stuff over a, a vehicle fire. So right. totally not worth it. No. <clears throat> um, and so uh, second question we have here from Aaron Skeen is, uh, is about using foam or other extinguishing agents on lithium ion. Are they, are they effective? They are not effective. Uh, that is a that's yeah, that is stuff that I am going to be testing more thoroughly over the next three years. Yes, I know that sounds crazy. It's probably going to be right around a year and a half to two years of testing on all these different products, and then obviously you writing. Now I'm not doing that stuff, but there will be people writing the 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 processes of what would work best out. So when it's publicly uh, released. It's professional, you know, but I'm yeah. more there as the firefighter to go over these testing things. I will tell you right now, we know 100% it is not effective. It actually makes the problem worse. It, okay. it appears to make the problem better because foam will instantaneously look like it put the fire out. It will smother it really, really quick and everything looks good. But I always teach people in my class, I always try to tell them like, what, what is foam? What is the purpose of foam? And most people's responses are, well, foam is to smother. Well, what is the deal with lithium ion batteries? And, and at this point in my class, I've already taught people this, so I'll, I'll cover it real quick. The point that we are trying to do to, to, to break apart that fire triangle in a lithium ion battery is cool. It is 100% cool. It is nothing else. Once it's cooled below um, about 150 degrees, Really, it's below 200, but I'm, we're not going to get into all that science. I'm going to tell people 150. When it's below 150, it's no longer um, going into that, that thermal runaway process. Well, if we smother this thing, it looks like it's out. It smothers it and puts it out. But we've now, knowing that our job is to cool it, what are we going to use to cool it? Well, water is what's going to cool it. It's the only thing that's going to cool it. Foam is a blanket. And I would say, you know, if, we're, if I'm freezing cold, you give me a blanket, I warm up. Well, it's the same thing with these batteries. We're not cooling them. We're just suppressing it and allowing it to retain its heat inside it. And we'll think we have instant satisfaction because it will instantly probably go out. The problem is, is rekindles and reignitions. And some of those rekindles and reignitions are happening days later at the junkyard. But we're actually seeing these things rekindle before they've even made it to the junkyard on the back of the of the tow truck. 
So it so the time varies. But also I ask, you know, a lot of people, what is foam to electricity? And, and it's a conductor. And so now we take foam, we put it over these batteries, these lithium ion batteries, and then we we cover it, we we suppress it, it starts to build more heat, it's getting trapped inside there. And now we got conductivity, and now all of a sudden the electrical uh, currents are starting to flow through those batteries, which causes it to heat back up, go above 200 degrees, go back into thermal runaway and then reignite. So, um, that includes everything. There's a lot of companies out there trying to suppress this right now. Um, and I will tell you that the only way I would trust a product in general for me is if it's not tested, uh, after working for UL, the way I see that they are, if it's not tested by UL, I wouldn't trust it, you know? So, so so I'll I'll add on to that question. There's a lot of um we see like online that these like specialty nozzles and stuff that are coming out for cars and stuff like that. Are those effective or is there enough testing on those that they seem to be effective? Or do you have any opinion on those? Um so I don't want to make um there's a lot of people that support me out there in the fire service and I don't want to I don't want to create tension where they think I'm out there trying to to mess them up. So I don't want to necessarily hammer out specifics on on names of these products. As I describe some of these things, you'll probably know what it is um, yep. if I if I end up doing that. But the big thing I'm a t- I can I can 100% guarantee you they they are not tested by UL uh, because that's what I'm doing in the advisory panel and we haven't even started it yet. Um, so they're not studied or tested and um, and man, I'm not a big fan of just packing our rigs with more and more stuff. You know, like I, I feel like a lot of this stuff through the evolution of the fire service, these things people produce, um, they want to make a quick dollar right uh, on this right. type of a situation. So they try to produce a product. Um, it costs a lot of money to be certified. So I'm not going to do that. Right. If I'm if I'm starting this company up and then wh- where does most of these products that that we try to solve problems with that we don't really need the use of it for end up, they all end up in a fire museum. and. So, you know, for me, I laugh, but if you think about it, go to a fire museum and, and even my history is only 15 years, but you talk to some of these old timers and they're like, yep, that thing was worthless. Yep. That thing was worthless. And so I feel like if people are too quick to start jumping the gun because they're afraid that they don't have the right way to solve this, they're going to buy stuff that is completely irrelevant. I mean, not irrelevant, but completely worthless in solving your problem. And I will tell you right now that you can 100% handle it on scene with just a standard hose line, smooth bore, and and maybe some chains and a winch. Uh, Maybe uh, you don't want to chain and winch it, but maybe you want to use spreaders and cribbing. But I would tell you that that's the minimal amount of of equipment you need, and you can absolutely get it done and and shit. In fact, you could even have a tow company come out and do the flipping for you, you know, to where you don't even have to have the materials. So somebody who may be in a smaller organization, volunteer style department of maybe one station, well then utilize your tow company to come out and do it. But you can 100% suppress it. As long as you understand where you're putting the water and why you're putting the water, where you're putting it, you do not near right. these nozzles that are bent or, or spraying like a sprinkler system underneath it. A lot of that turns out to just be water wasting anyways, because it's not specifically hitting where you need to be suppressing it. And you're spraying a lot of the undercarriage, but not necessarily in the source of where the fire is coming from. And so then you're right. spending 20,000 gallons of water thinking you're doing something where if I would have flipped it, put a nozzle right up to where I want to put that nozzle, we'd be out of there in 2,500 gallons. But right. 
so that's that's kind of my my broad perspective on it. No would be my answer. Keep with what you got. And, and it, I'd, I'd rather you just pay for the training or just put the training on yourself and pay for the overtime to have your own instructors teach this to you, whatever it might be, rather than you spend the $45,000 uh, for a piece of equipment that I actually think is is completely worthless, you know? Right. So, and then some of the, just to add real quick, some of those have very specific parameters, like in order for this thing to work, it needs to be within two inches of the belly of the vehicle. Um, you know, it, it only pumps out eight GPM, but you also need to know what modules burning. And in these cars, they're, these cars are broken up into modules. Some of the new technology coming out there, there's just one continuous battery pack built into the structure of the vehicle. And actually that's a big, that's a big, uh, helping hand oddly enough for us. Um, but the, some of the other ones have modules and, and you're trying to find out what modules going into a thermal runaway and you're just going to sit there and poke a hole which don't ever, ever, ever do. Never. And there's not a single manufacturer I've spoken to that I've worked with that says that's a good idea. Nobody should be poking holes in these things. Uh, it's puncturing. Interesting, because that's one of the things like I've heard repeatedly is about poking a hole to get water into the battery. The no, the number one reason that these things go into a thermal runaway and ignite on fire like a car on the side of the road is an auto accident. It's not something wrong with the manufacturer manufacturers are building these things pretty solid. They don't just start on fire randomly. I would, yeah. I would tell you there's probably a 3% chance that a battery is going to fail on its own with nobody doing anything to it. That is minuscule. But when they get punctured or ruptured through an accident where the battery pack has now been opened and the lithium ion batteries have basically two sheets of metal with this thing in the middle uh, that prevents them from touching. And if these two pieces of metal touch at all, they'll go into a thermal runaway. And the only thing that separates that from happening is, is oddly enough, just called a separator. Um, they thought really hard. Creative. Yeah. They were thinking long and hard how they could come up with a name for that. But when they, when they get punctured or they get in an accident, the thing will shift or whatever might happen. And now all of a sudden that separator isn't, isn't preventing that and they catch on fire. So if you jam a metal rod, or puncture a battery pack at all, you're susceptible. You're you're opening it up to basically um, to creating it to touch those two pieces of metal together. And now you throw that area into a thermal runaway, and then you realize that that wasn't where the battery pack was that was on fire. So then you try to puncture another module. And then you try to puncture another module. Next thing you know, you put four holes in this thing, and that those four holes may not off gas right away. And so then right. you finally find the module you want, you suppress it, but you poked four holes in there. Now the problem is, is that can reignite up to 28 days later sitting in a junkyard and you'll have no clue. And so not only does it have the ability to possibly cause more of a fire behavior, it's also incredibly dangerous. And people like GM and all these, these companies, not only do they tell us this, no, do not ever puncture these things from the training perspective. It's written all over in their in their manuals. Never puncture the battery. Never try to open the battery pack. Make sure a professional is around and, and they're meaning mechanics before you touch these things. So that's the best I could I can kind of answer that question. I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on that one as well and say if that's we you talked to me a little bit before we um when we were kind of talking about this that you don't need 30,000 gallons of water to put one of these vehicles out. There are tactics that you can do it with a lot less water. So um, 
how so just to piggyback on that we're not puncturing the battery how are we cooling these batteries effectively without using thirty thousand gallons of water yeah so uh good question the first step would obviously be you have to understand these vehicles that's why training is so important in, in this pers- i don't know what kind of training you want to do but you have got to start learning about these things the location of the battery is is the big is one of the biggest things and based on the vehicle all vehicles now even a hybrid will react the same way that you're starting to see them in YouTube over. I know Tesla gets a hard hit over this thing, but everybody has to understand Tesla's just got the market. So, you know, they're, they're still probably only, you know, a handful of them that are really catching on fire, but you've been out since 2012. Like you're going to take the hit here. All of the cars are going to do the same thing Tesla's doing. But with that being said, each manufacturer is different where they place their batteries are different. And people will say, well, hybrids have been around since 2000. They have uh, batteries in them. Well, they don't have the same batteries that a lithium of a lithium ion. It's a nickel, nickel, uh, nickel hydrate. Yeah, I think it's nickel hydrate or something nickel like hydrate. that. hydrate. Yeah. And so, but the problem is, is about a year ago, now every hybrid has transitioned over to lithium ion batteries. So the only reason you didn't see that in the past is they were... Li- lithium uh nickel hydrate so now we've seen that transition so even a hybrid will do the same thing and a hybrid is different than a plug-in hybrid which is different than an all-electric vehicle and you need to know that because when you arrive on scene and you find these vehicles by that simple identification of what kind of vehicle that is you're going to know where the location of the batteries are and what that means to us is if i go see it and it's an electric vehicle and i just go well you know what i've seen a ton of videos online that says we're going to put some water on this thing, but in order to put water on it, we're going to flip this thing at a 45 degree so we can get exposed to the belly. And I'm going to start flowing water underneath this thing. Sure. You go do that. Unfortunately, it was a hybrid. Well, where's the hybrid batteries? They're in the trunk. So what? we're not cooling anything, nor are we doing anything other than wasting water. Or a plug-in hybrid is different than an all-electric vehicle because where's the location of the plug-in hybrid batteries? They're interior. They're not exterior. Why is that? Because they still have a combustible motor. So they still have drive shafts, fuel lines, all that shit running underneath there. So what, what's the point of us flipping it up and trying to suppress it? And, and you would you would assume that people would recognize this, but unfortunately, it's just the lack of training. We're just kind of seeing pictures and we're just going with our thought process on these pictures. And we're just saying, well, every battery is going to be underneath. I need to get underneath there and put it out. And, and in some cases... Uh, some of these new vehicles, they're burning up and in, even as an all electric vehicle, an all electric vehicle. And they're still burning up and in, which an up and in means up into the into the passenger compartment rather than a down and out fire, which is obviously what it states, you know, down and away from the, the, the passengers in the vehicle. So locate, understanding the vehicles, knowing where their batteries are in, in, um, and then suppressing these things based off of, of, of that identification is what's going to really ultimately prevent you from those big numbers. And and again, that all goes with training. You know, uh, when I put on right. the hands-on training, I make sure I tell people, I get them on air and I make them go through the process and tell me what they're looking for. And I make, and I'll throw them loot, you know, all, all the way through a, a, a hybrid, all the way to an, an electric vehicle, trying to confuse them. I'm like, well, so where's the batteries? Well, you tell me, I'm, I've, I've already started on fire. I told you where it was. And, and it's more just to make them have that critical thinking. So when they get on scene, they're, they're actually working the way they train. Uh, and that's why 
anytime we delay that process, we're allowing batteries to get hotter and hotter and hotter. If we start with a hundred that are on fire and because I'm taking a long time to figure out where these things are burning from and I'm not getting the hose stream in the right place. Well, that just within 45 seconds went from a hundred to a thousand. And then in 45 more seconds, it went from a thousand to 4,000 heated batteries. And so now I'm, it's getting to the point where shoot, now I'm probably going to be here. I went from basically, if I would have identified it right away and put the hose stream where it was supposed to be, I went there from being like an hour on scene, an hour, technically you're going to be there for about a minimum, about two hours regardless. But I went there from being about a two hour fire to waiting an, a minute and a half to figure out where we're going to put the water to making it a six or a seven hour fire. I mean, that's, that's how quick that can change on you. So the early recognition is, is huge in these. Yeah, absolutely. 100, 100%. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's, I, so that's one thing that I, I wasn't aware of myself and I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of. Um, so that's, that's awesome information. Um, yeah, uh, we have another question here from Mike Lydon. Uh, he is asking if you have a rundown on like the level of danger. So Tesla versus scooter versus solar. Um, I tried to get some clarification, but let's say like, what's most likely to fail and then and then like what's the most dangerous in in terms of likely to fail um and then maybe what's the most dangerous as far as like if it fails so obviously we talked about inside versus outside but just the generally like what are the more dangerous batteries well so all batteries uh they're they're kind of different styles there's um there's pouch style batteries there's uh cell style batteries um so every every one of them has a, di a different construction, but they're the exact same uh, battery in the fact that how they chemically react. All these vehicle manufacturers have spent a lot of money on these things. So I will tell you right off the bat, uh, it's a 3% failure rate probably across the board if it's a UL studied, UL rated battery, which like 99.9% .9 of our manufactured vehicles are all UL rated batteries. So um, but that still means that there's still a 3% failure rate, but that's because anything's a 3% failure rate. I mean, even your light bulb is a 3% failure rate. It could, it could burn out or your, your light socket could catch on fire inside your house. I mean, there's, there's going to be a failure in almost anything, right? And 3% is very, very low if you think about it, but it's a UL rated battery. If it is not a UL rated battery, the, the likelihood of it, of it catching on fire and, and being coming very dangerous, very quick exponentially higher. I don't have a number, but we could probably say somewhere in the 50% chance that thing's going to have a failure. So with that being said, how I like to look at it is there's no way to know unless you're going to like really study these products if it's a UL rated battery and and maybe that's just more for your for yourself if you're going to buy something for your kid. But this but for us going into a fire, I don't know if that's UL rated. I know it's already into a thermal runaway. And if it's in a thermal runaway, I don't know how much time I really have. And I know it's very, very dangerous because it can flash up to 1200 degrees in two seconds. That's the way I train. But with that being said, an e-bike that is UL rated batteries is about $10,000. So if you go onto Amazon right now and you try to buy an e-bike, you can buy an e-bike for 1500 bucks and shoot, you can buy them for $700. But I will tell you that the the batteries are most likely, I mean, I'm just throwing this out there because I don't know, most likely they are not rated at all. And, and the problem is, is that's what most people are buying. They're buying these things because who wants to spend that kind of money? 
You can get some UL rated batteries in some of these e-bikes and some of these stores for about $6,000, but they're up to 10,000. So I like to make it more drama felt, but, um, you know, yeah. Like if you want to go buy a one wheel, oh, there's one wheels out there. And if you want a one wheel, it's about three grand for a one wheel, you know, but that has really good batteries in it, but you can go buy a one wheel for like 700 bucks, but those are not UL rated batteries because the difference in, in reality is, I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars have to be spent on testing of those batteries to, to deem that they've been rated and tested. Well, right. if they're a new company just trying to sell an e-bike, they don't really care. So that is a very, very dangerous situation because that's what's primarily being purchased out there. On Amazon, it is primarily being purchased e-bikes, e-scooters, uh, the, the, um, Gosh, those those little things that people zoom around in downtowns in, you know, the little like not, not the scooters, but the little uh, I can't even think of what they're called. Um, but e everything's be become the hoverboards. We're right. even seeing it in RC car batteries are transitioning to lithium. You can go buy a badass RV car and that RV car is rated battery, but you probably spent 600 bucks on that thing. And that's why it's six hundred dollars. Or you right. can go buy me like what I did. I went and bought my kid one. It was like a $40 one. And sure as to me, there's nothing on that thing that says that those things are rated. And so what do I do? I basically unplug that thing and, and it is actually stored in a closet, not in my kid's room. It's in a coat closet in the front of the house where if it decided to do anything, the most it's going to do is burn in that coat closet with the doors right. always shut in there. Um, and that's just because I bought a cheap car. Um, I have seen people charging these batteries, even rated batteries in their garage, RC cars, and they got up like a bank of these cars that are like, um, and they're all sitting on the charger. I've seen them burn an entire garage to the ground and it all started from those RC batteries, burned it to yeah. the ground, nothing left burned to the sticks. Wow. So that that's the best picture I can paint for them. The cars probably are not going to be ever put in that classification as a as an unrated battery. They're they're all rated and, and significantly right. tested, but um, these scooters are not. So right, uh, that's why if you look and uh, you probably a lot of these people are probably like referring to these things because they see all these incidents happening in New York. Well, that's what I was that's what I was thinking of, and they keep mentioning at least I've heard them mention several times that they're off-brand batteries or however they, they put it, they're not rated batteries. Yep. They're off-brand. You're not going to tell, like, I love New York doing all this publicity they're trying to do, but you think you're going to convince a consumer? So you're telling me I need to go buy a six grand bike? They're like, no. I mean, we're going right. to have this problem for eternity because nobody in their right mind, including me, who knows how dangerous they are, is going to go buy a $600 RC card for my five-year-old. I'm going to buy right. the cheap one and see if he likes it and play with it for a little bit. But people are doing the same thing. Um, right. the problem is if you want to get into a danger, what I was trained in the fire service, like in my mindset, when I'm on scene training, even if it's company level standard, I always put a child in there. I don't know why I have to train that way. It makes me work faster and harder. And that's because I have three kids. Um, but that's my mindset. It's not like there's a victim in there. I don't look at it as there's a victim in there. I look at it as there's a six-year-old child in there. So it, with that being said, training that way think about the 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 thought process of most homeowners who's buying these things right 
It's not a 45-year-old adult buying them. I mean, shit, I do want a one-wheel because I want to cruise up and down the beach <laughs> on a one-wheel. I feel like that'd be the coolest thing ever. Every morning, I want to wake up with a cup of coffee, cruising my one-wheel up and down the beach, and then I'll go to work for the day. I don't know why I want to I retire that way. But um, with that being said, most of the time for Christmas, we're buying these for our kids. Well, what does a kid want to do with it? They want to charge it in their room. Like they want to look at this thing. They want to like clean it every night or whatever it is, the thought process. And the parents are clueless. They're like, man, I got that thing for, for, I don't even know, 500 bucks. That thing's sweet. My kid loves it. He wants to put in his room. I'm so happy to see my kid so happy. Well, if we know that that thing can go into a full flash over 1200 degrees in two seconds, that could happen while that kid is sleeping. And and, and there is no surviving that. There is none. And so- when we want to talk about which one is the most dangerous, it is, it's going to be that bike or that scooter, but more importantly, it's going to be that bike, that scooter in a kid's bedroom. That's, that is the ultimate, the ultimate deadly fire and, and, and concern. So. Um, piggybacking off of that. So we talked a little bit about New York and obviously New York probably dominates the feed of, of lithium ion battery fires right now. Mostly I would imagine r- related to population, but are we seeing um, more failures with these batteries in an area of the country versus another aside from like being population related? So is our like weather elements and like salt on the roads or things like that affecting how these batteries are failing or how fast they're failing? Uh, time will tell. Time will tell. I don't think I have enough data on, or or I've even been given enough information from any of the places that I do side work with where they have told me that that I will tell you that the science is yes. Um, yeah. It just how long is that going to take? I mean, I know that all the classes I've taught, I've taught anywhere from Seattle all the way up to um, to like Michigan and, and, and um, Portland, Maine. And like Seattle's not going to have this problem. Uh, Colorado might have a little bit of this problem, but I am fucking shocked, excuse my language, by um, how fast a car in, in Portland, Maine, in Michigan is is rusted out to the bones because of how much chemicals they put on the road for uh, to, to keep the snow off the road. I mean, you can right. barely even extricate these vehicles. By the time they're in the junkyard, you're basically just cutting through butter because it's just so rusted out. They're, you don't even get to feel that that sensation of that pop in that B post or a post because it's just rust. And so knowing that those battery packs are made of aluminum, they're made of, of caulking and, and, and welds, it's going to be only a matter of time before those things corrode right through that, um, through that welding and, and caulking. And then it gets water in there. And once it gets water in there, as that, as corrosive as that is, it gets in there and starts breaking apart that battery. And then the only thing, again, I go back to the only thing in there is that separator that's keeping that from happening. Well, that separator doesn't take much to go away and boom, we got an issue. So that's my theory. That's not anything that's documented, but just knowing the science behind these things and watching all this stuff, I'm traveling around the country, looking at this stuff. I'm going, holy cow, are we going to have a problem? And these, these departments I'm teaching up there, are like, they're like, yeah, we have I see like one Tesla every once in a while. It's like, well, that's because there's not that many people up in those areas, but those weren't as popular up there. Now you got competition of about 68 different manufacturers making all electric vehicles. So they're going to, once numbers go up, is this going to become a problem? That's why I said only time will right. tell. Yes. As, as, long, as well as with some of my folks, I, I do a conference call with Clean City Energy Companies, uh, coalitions 
you know, across the United yep. States for NFPA and, uh, and uh, Virginia just did one with me and, and they're really concerned about uh, hurricane seasons. And what does that mean for them? I just told them right off the bat, 100% you should be. I, I don't have a way to paint the picture and say, well, you're not going to have that problem because once these ba- these cars are submerged under salt water, that just goes back to the same thing that the that Michigan and Portland, Maine and, and all those people are having issues with their cars rusting out. That salt water is incredibly toxic. Uh, and, and, and we'll just eat through any of that stuff as it sits there. And once it finds its way into the battery pack, boom, it's same problem. So depending on where you are across the United States, I think you're going to see that that be more of an issue. Um, but it also bases off a of population density. You know, we put right. a lot of magnesium chloride down in Colorado. Uh, our population is what m- much more greater than, um, you know, some of these places like Newcastle, Maine, where I went just a couple months ago. Right. But theirs corrode a lot quicker than they're going to corrode here, probably in Colorado, it, you know? Right. So. Um, is there, is there, or will there be policy or guidance on disposing of the vehicles with these batteries? So uh, I was just thinking you talk about, you know, a hurricane, right? And these cars getting flooded by salt water. Um, often I feel like those cars are written off. They're, 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 uh, they're totaled and then they're sent to a junkyard. So they could be sitting there just waiting to go, you know, in a junkyard as well. Is there like guidance coming out or is, or is there procedures for, for disposing of these cars properly so that, you know, five years later after it's been sitting in a junkyard, it doesn't catch, you know, a scrapyard going or anything like that? I, I wish I had that information for you too. Again, I think we're so early on in, in this process that I'm, I'm not going to be able to answer, uh, get an answer for you on all of them. I, I will definitely run that by some of the best people to talk to is those clean city coalitions. Uh, because yep. when I'm on those calls, I have electricians on there. I have city officials on there. And so I, I get a lot of answers through that. Um, it is most of this right now is all city in, in state um, specific. So it's not going to be like hands down right at the time being codes. I uh, I work with um, with a chief um, on this UL advisory and he works for the, the state chiefs association. And I will tell you that they're in the process of making policies and guidelines and all that. And they basically said that like 2027 will probably be the first time you see stuff like that. Wow. It's that far out to get, there's so much that goes into writing stuff and then putting your name behind it. I mean, the testing, the organizations have to basically do everything they can and, and cross their T's and dot their I's to make sure they're getting the right information out. So it sounds like, um, city officials for the state will be able to come up with that quicker than you'll see a national, uh, gotcha deal. Now, with that being said, currently right now, I have seen studies where some of those vehicles from that hurricane and in, in, out of Naples and stuff like that, they were parting that vehicle out. It was totaled, but the insurance company wants their money back. And what they did is they took them to places and started parting out those pieces. I don't know what gets parted out of there. I don't know how they think that that's safe, but that's now in somebody else's car cruising around in some different state that doesn't even have an ocean like Colorado. And they, right. I don't know, did they take a module out of there and take a battery pack and then somebody had a battery failure. So they're like, Hey, we got one. Uh, we refurbished it and it's good to go. Well, what'd you refurbish it from? And we already know they did that. The insurance company, right. we already know they parted that stuff out. So I think that's a big problem. And that's, what's going to have to be addressed is we, can you or should you be parting any piece of that vehicle out? Because even high voltage cables, 
You know, if you have electrical short circuit and all you did was replace the cable itself, that cable is feeding to the battery. So if all of a sudden it's getting a short circuit in that, that cable line, is it just going to throw somebody's battery into a thermal runaway? I think when that time comes, somebody's going to say these vehicles cannot be parted out based on right. whatever the damage was. If it was just a, you know, it's 10 years old, sure, and there's nothing ever wrong with it. But if it's been in an accident or it's been in a flood, I think there's going to have to be something that says these things will not be parted out. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> so we talked a little bit about, obviously, like these vehicle fires um, and uh, fighting fires outside. So what if you're if you're responding to say, you know, it's a e-scooter in a house, or maybe you don't know, what are some of the warning signs you're looking for? Like coming up to that, that might clue you in that, Hey, this might be a lithium ion battery if there are any, or, um, I know the failure happens in two seconds, but what, what can we do to mitigate that hazard? So if we find that we find that it is an e-bike or e-scooter that's off gassing and thermal runaway, um, are you, are you advising, like, do you back out of there or do you immediately get water or how are we mitigating that hazard of being in that environment when it goes from 50 to 1200 degrees in two seconds? Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I enjoy most about <clears throat> traveling around and teaching people is they, they give me ideas, you know, because I think we're so new in this. I take any advice that any firefighter wants to give me. Um, and I, and I know that that's part of the stuff that we test, right. And, and we are going through that process of how do we mitigate these things everywhere from cars to scooters to you know something in a garage what are we going to do about it um i can only tell you what i kind of have a philosophy on um and with that being said it's still something where you're not going to be able to know you don't know the temperature at what it's at right they all have an ignition point uh, and some of them are 350 degrees degrees and some of them are up upwards of 600 now of ignitions temperature for where they will actually light on fire and so I don't know what that battery's at and I don't know what manufacturer that battery is. So I don't know, is it at 350? Is it a 400? Is it a battery that lights off at 400? Um, the only way to, to, to kind of know what's going on is be involved, involved with dispatch and making sure that dispatch is asking that question prior to hanging up the phone with them. If there's something on fire inside that house, the only way to save us right now from getting injured like that is them asking that question and then informing you and putting it on the, on your CAD system that you're going to a, a structure fire that has lithium ion batteries in it. We don't know if the lithium ion batteries is the cause of it. And then what I would do when I walk up to that structure is just look at your, your standard situation. So super high heat, very violent fire. You're going to have a lot of pressure pushing out the ease, very turbulent smoke is, which is going to be a lot different than this isn't going to have high heat, right? This isn't, isn't really lit off yet at this point in time, this is prior to ignition. So the smoke may be dense, but it's not going to have the pressure and the velocity that you would have from the high heat fire, where it's actually pushing out of any, any cracks and soffits and things like that of the structure. So you're probably going to more see it in the situation where you're going to open the door. You're going to see a little bit of wispy gas coming out from underneath and, it may be brown. It may be a little bit black. It may not be just completely white because it's, it's as it's heating, it's still heating plastics and things right. like that around it. So you may walk up to that. I mean, the telltale sign for me would be, well, why would I, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking this, why would I open up a structure fire, a door to a structure fire and have banked down smoke all the way to the floor with no temperature? 
with an ambient temperature of, of what it is outside or inside that house. And right. I would start to think at that point in time, right then and there, is this a lithium ion battery fire? Even if it's not, since the future is telling us that we're getting so many of these things, that's where I would like shut the door and maybe try to go figure out really quick. Is this, do you guys have lithium ion batteries in here somewhere inside your house? If you can't get a hold of the RP, you're going to have to do something. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think it's too hard to, t to paint the picture of every situation. But I think the biggest thing I can tell you now is slow the fuck down because rushing into that thing because, oh my God, we got a ripper and I'm going to go flying, you know, uh, 55 feet deep into this structure. All of that gas that's around you that we've always been told if you're passing high heat, superheated environment, let's cool that atmosphere. Well, it's not. It's nothing to be cooled. So you're not going to spray any of that down. You're going to be like, what is going on? This is a vent limited fire. Let's go find out where this thing is smoldered down to. And you get in 55 deep into that thing. And then all of a sudden it goes from 55 degrees to 1200 degrees. All of that gas all the way back to the front door is all flammable gas. So every bit of that is going to light at the exact same time. None of it is going to slowly light and then creep up. To, it's all going to light all around you. and. And so, you know, slowing way down is key. And then, um, you know, obviously explosion potential is, is, is a huge issue. I mean, these things, when they right. find their ignition temperature, they find the right oxygen concentration they want and they're encapsulated in either a room or a garage is say it's a garage. They're blowing garage door, two car garage doors about, you know, let's say right around 400 lithium ion batteries in there, they're blowing a garage door 60 to 200 feet off the garage door. So I would also say to you this, why, how are we going to now go approach garage fires where we think it's a ripping garage fire and we walk up to that thing and you're on a truck company, what's the first thing you're going to do if you got a, if you got some, some smoke pushing out around that garage door, what are we going to do? Take we're going to op open it up and we're going to open it up with a K-12. Right. But now you're throwing a 12, a 40,000 RPM uh, K12 up across your neck as you make a cut. And that car decides to find its ignition temperature and or those stored energy systems. And it blows off. And, and now it takes that garage door and we're seeing it go 60 to 200 feet. And you're in the front of it now with that K12. So What's the difference? Well, the difference for me would be what garage fire rips without black soot around the top of the brick or around the garage door. It, there's going to be black, nasty, nasty black stuff if it's actually on fire. If it's not sticking to the brick and it's not sticking to the white garage door or whatever it is, that's probably not a ripping garage fire. There's probably something in there. And in fact, I would want to go to the RP and say, do you have batteries stored for your PV system? Or I want to go do a 360 real quick. Go look for the red labeling on the on the sides of the house and find out if it's a PV system. And if it's a PV system, I would immediately say, we're going to say this has batteries until found out otherwise. Maybe it doesn't, but that's where I would start. Then I would want to go find that RP or the homeowner and say, do you, do you have batteries in there? Or is it just fed straight into the grid system? And, in, and if they don't know, then assume it's got batteries in there. If they're... The other question would be, do you, do you drive an electric vehicle? And you have to be precise with these people. You know, is it a hybrid? Is it a plug-in hybrid? And is it all electric? Because that's the difference of 
you know, a thousand batteries all the way up to 8,000 batteries. It's a huge difference. So I want to know what car is in there. Um, And then I always tell people when you're dealing with these fires going down the road, everybody in the green is my, you know, I'm never going to get this point across to my, my fire department, at least at this point in time, you know, it would take a while for some change there. And, and, but the reality is why, why we're trying to say that is everybody in the green means stay, stay in the grass. If you're in the grass and this thing decides to blow off that garage door, every time we've seen a garage door blow off or we've even done it at UL, it just goes straight out. Path of least resistance, it kind of it kind of buckles and then shoots straight out. If everybody's in the green, then you're green, you're good, you're safe. If people start to congregate in front of that driveway and we haven't figured out what it is, knowing that the future is that these things are going to be behind those garage doors more and more often, you're putting yourself at risk. Even if you're just sitting there doing what I've done a million times, which is, 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 you know, socialize, like what's going on with this thing. And we're all sitting there right in front of the garage doors. We're waiting to be told what to do to go in. Are we going in? Are we not going in? What do we want to do? But you're standing in the most dangerous part, you know? Right. So I, I, it's a, such a hard question to ask of what can we do? Um, again, it's, it sounds I, like, it sounds like education and awareness. One, 100%. It's training it right at this point in time. You, People should be putting on training left and right. And I will tell you through the Clean City uh, coalitions, their fire departments uh, have told me several times that there is a grant out there for them to pay for anybody that's going to teach them about lithium ion battery fires and the government is paying for it. So, I mean, you can you can put on the most elaborate training you want right at the time being. But if you're that is the only way right now to, to save a firefighter's life. Um, right. So and I can give you I, I work with a guy. Uh, the whole reason I got into the UL s- stuff was um, because we started with the ESS system, which is stored batter- battery packs, right, from the p- PV system. I work with the captain that basically started this process based off of his incident. And um, and so he's a he's an awesome dude. He's one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Um, but I know the real story, and the real story is really alarming. Um, and so what it was, was basically in 2019, that's when basically this whole process started about lithium ion batteries and more of an explosion potential concern is it's surprise Arizona for the people that, that know where that is. And so, um, basically it was a stored energy system in a commercial industry. So way commercial batteries are stored, they're basically stored off the property in a Connex box is the best way I can paint that picture for you. Um, not, not some are Connex boxes and some are built like a Connex box, but a little bit different, but the, the construction is the same. And, um, I don't want to get into the whole story about it. I just want to tell you how concerning this is and why you should be alarmed about this. But, um, he's on the hazmat team. He's dialed in. He knows exactly what's going on. Um, the, the, the incident was, was called out. They arrived on scene. It was six hours later before they finally decided to make entrance into this unit and figure out what they need to do to fix the problem. They don't know what the problem is because it's lithium ion. It's not really on fire, but it's off gassing. So what is this problem? They, they six hours after talking to chiefs and coming up with plans and is it doing this? Is it doing that? They finally decided to open the door. Um, He took one foot, one step inside that Connex box, right? And uh, he looked around with the tick. And remember I told you what the temperatures do within two seconds? I'm going to show you a video here in a second if I can pull it up of what happens to these things within two seconds. But um, this matches everything we've seen. 
He looked down the gully of this thing. He said with the tick, nothing. He looked down the other way. It was nothing. But he said it was filled with gas, smoke, but everything was cold. There was nothing hot. And they knew that from the outside when they were doing their investigation for six hours. There's nothing hot in there. So he went back down the long part of that gully to look down. And when he did that with his tick, he said he saw something and was getting ready to back out. Went, what the hell was that? And put his tick back on it. And that was it. What he saw was what he believes was an increase, was a flame. And, and it started to change colors on his tick. Next thing you know, um, he wakes up. 60 feet from the building. He was blown through a chain link fence. Um, his entire crew, which was four people, were all blown out and through a chain link fence. Um, and he was on fire. He was burning on fire. And the only thing that put him out was his probationary firefighter with a hose line who was unconscious and basically woke up out of nowhere. And and it sounds like it's a really funny story because basically what he said to his, 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 his probie was, at some point recently they were training it was like, dude, if you see red stuff, you put water on that red stuff. That's your job. And it sounds like this, the probie described it as I, he woke up, he saw red stuff. He opened the nozzle. He sprayed whatever was red, shut the nozzle down and went unconscious again. What was red was, was the captain on fire was burning. Jesus. So he says that if he wasn't put out, he, he probably would have died because he went unre- he went unconscious anyways. He, he only was up for two seconds to know he had been blown out away from the building. And then he went unresponsive and then woke up. And that that's all he knows pretty much. Jesus. So picture that you walking into a structure and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's a garage issue and you go interior and you try to open the interior garage. And if we know that that had the potential to do that exterior, he wasn't interior, right? All that explosion went out and around him and it still did that kind of a damage. Now put yourself in front of a, of a, of a, door going into a, into a structure and you're standing in front of it and you do that exact same thing he just did. I mean, you're not going to survive it. You you won't survive it. He was lucky because the pressure was still hurt him, still hit him, still caught him on fire. Now you're going to catch on fire. 100% you're catching on fire at 1200 degrees. You're also taking an explosion, blunt force trauma straight to your chest because through this little tiny orifice, which is just the door. um, But now you're inside the structure that's now burning. So now, and now you got four people. So what kind of Rick evolution do we have? You know, in our organization, we got four people on that crew inside where we're going to be able to rescue all four of them at once at 1200 degree temperatures. Now throw into the, to the mix that I told you, once it spikes at 1200 degrees, it goes back down to about 500 degrees. And within 20 something seconds, it goes into full flashover. So what, what Rick evolution do we have where I can pull four people out in 20 seconds? And that's why I'm like, we have to slow down. We should not be putting that many people in there to do that. And we shouldn't just be going in there because we think we're so badass that we're going to go fight a fire. And then we find out that it was lithium ion inside that garage and we should have done something completely tactically different. So So, I I have a question and I definitely want to see that video. Um, Are we, are the, are the batteries shielded so that we're, we can't get a good view of them with the thermal imager? Is that an issue? So obviously you said that, different manufacturers, they might actually light off at 300 or 600 degrees. Are they being shielded? So it's hard to actually see that in your tick, or is that something that you could see fairly easily with your tick? At least obviously the gases are cool, but you can see that the, the scooter or whatever it is, is reaching, you know, like the lowest known. I don't uh, have a, 
I don't have enough uh, data to tell you that like a scooter is going to be different because it's surround surrounded in plastic. So I would, right. I would assume yes, a scooter you're going to be fine. A car I do know is is it has its tricks to it because it's encapsulated in aluminum. But you may you're going to see a heat source of some sort. I don't know if it's going to tell you it's. I think it's going to hide the actual temperature of the battery because it's going through a. a, a pretty decent plate of aluminum and so you may right. see it being warm but i don't know how warm it is on the other side of that plate does that make right. sense yeah if, yeah if once it's opened up and it's burning on fire and we're suppressing it that's one of the ways that we tactically put it out we use a tick to identify and make sure that that temperature's down around 150 degrees but that's because it's now opened up through 2800 degrees of burning a hole in the bottom of this thing or in the top of this thing where now we can get that tick in there and actually see those batteries. So, right. um, but the, 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 it's going to be so inconsistent. We're going to have a real hard time trying to tell people that you're going to see the actual temperature. So you can be on more heightened alert. Like, Oh dude, this is at 400. That means it's going to be either a 400 battery, a 500 battery or a 600 battery. We're close. We're not going right. to know. That. We're not going to, maybe right. you're going to get a better idea in the plastic scooter because it's just plastic instead of metal. So, right. And like you said, it's going to, some that hot's going to be melting the plastic and stuff around it, I imagine. Yeah, let me see here if I can. I just don't know if this will pop up on my. Um, let me try to pull this up here for a second. Um, so if I, I'm just minimizing it. So if I disappear, don't worry about it. I'll be back here. Do you still see me? <laughs> yeah, I can still see you. Okay. <clears throat> trying to get this to play but i'm going to drag it over here um some people may have already seen this where did it go there it is boom all right here's the video i'll pull it up right now now this is a scooter fire but this is the stuff to show you about the concerns you should see with the explosion and in the in the incredibly fast flashover um conditions so let's go I just want to make sure this will play. There we go. Can you see that? Yep. Perfect. So if we take a look at this video, there's a scooter that you see in the in in bedroom one, and then you see it say low. That's the scooter. It is plugged in. It's being ran through a, a electrical current to try to throw it into a thermal runaway. So it goes into a thermal runaway. On the right picture, top right hand corner, you'll see it says 52 degrees Fahrenheit. It's now yeah. it's now gone into a, a thermal runaway. So now it's over 200 degrees. That's what's happening. But it's going in much faster till it hits its ignition temperature. Watch that temperature on the right hand corner where it says 52 to 53, 54, 1200 degrees. Holy shit. OK, that's just a bedroom. Now, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to rewind it and restart it for you. So think about you walking into this thing. Uh, now I want you to look at the bottom left hand photo of what it does to that window when it does hit its 1200 degrees. So 52, 57, I think is what it goes to. And then just right up to 1200. And you see the pressure that it blows that window out. It also blows a door out as well. So when you look at that, now go back to the temperature in the top right-hand corner. It was 1200 degrees. It goes down to 500 degrees here. It's working through its process. So if you look right now, it's a, uh, 143.48. 143.48 drops down, but watch it start climbing now. And then look at the window in the bottom left when it does complete flashover. So 143.48. Complete flashover. We haven't even hit 20 seconds. Wow. 
Okay, and we're back up to 1200 degrees. Wow. So when I tell people my concern about it is these, nobody's talking about it from a firefighter's perspective of tactically how we, how do we standardly approach these fires? Well, fuck man, we go right in there. And I would take a hose line in that thing all day long and never would have been concerned about a single thing. It may be vent limited. And that's a little bit of an issue. I just want to make sure this thing ain't going to pop off on me, but I'm going to go in there and we're going to go take care of some business. But right. you get down that hallway, when that decides to do what it does at, at its that one point where it completely transitioned over, wh- what did that just do to you? It just killed you. It probably killed you. And I don't know that, but again, I'm not going to teach people at the lowest possibility. I'm going to teach them at the largest possibility and the concern. Right. And so, you know, what, 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 what do I have to say about it? I just have, all I can say is every, anything encapsulated inside a structure, inside a garage, we got to slow down. Um, I can also show you this. This is another picture of one that just happened the other day, and this is in Colorado. Um, and so, oh, shoot, what did I do here? Let's pull that up. Um, let's take a look here. So where is that? Did I not save that? Oh, I thought I pulled that up. I guess I did not save that. I'll have to look and see if I can find that here real quick. Um, here's that garage door being blown off. You can see it flying there. That's just from light and batteries during testing. Um, that's Jeez. what happens. Um, while you're while you're looking for that, um, uh, Aaron's asking is um, is submerging e-bikes uh, better versus spraying? Yeah. Yeah. I actually like that process. If you can get in there quick enough. One of the things I would say, if you're going to, if you're going to submerge it, dude, I would just fill up a bathtub inside the structure that you got a perfect place to submerge that thing. If you take it outside, you don't have anything on your rig to submerge it. Um, Maybe call in the hazmat team and they have overpacking drums and things like that. But I mean, that's just, you're still putting it in a position where it's not, it's not underwater. And underwater is the, seems to be the thing that puts it out almost immediately. So um, for me, I would say, uh, yeah, I I love it, but I utilize it more as, as like what I just talked about, utilize it as throwing it into a bathtub. But remember, you're going to have to be inside, grab that thing as quick as you possibly can before it finds its ignition temperature to do that. Cause you don't want that thing to do that with it in your hand. Right. Um, Otherwise you can do the standard trucker move where you just huck it out a window But then again, like I said, you're mitigating that problem now outside and we just don't have that ability to do that. So, well, and, and that off gassing of chemicals for anyone that's out there breathing that stuff in is terrible too. Yeah. And then, and now it's just floating around everywhere. So I'm, I'm paying attention to you as you're asking, I'm just trying to get these pictures. I thought I put the pictures up, but I guess I did not. All right. Um, and I think you already answered this question, but I'm just going to, I'm going to read it because somebody asked is, uh, is reading smoke dealing with lithium versus traditional. And I think we, I think we already hit that. We're looking at like that lighter in color, not pressurized kind of cool smoke versus that sticky black, hot pressurized smoke. Correct. I mean, um, you know, it's going to be heavier, probably heavier than air. So it's going to tend to want to push down lower. The problem is, is we just have wind driven and there's just too many environmental issues that could change that. And by the time you're in there and, you, and you're and you getting called to this, that smoke might be all the way banked down to the floor and, and you're not going to get to see what's heavier or not. 
Right. But um, it, it is actually kind of, if you saw that, that fire that just happened, it can be black. Um, what else is burning off in there? It can be some of the plastics heating up and all sorts of stuff mixed in with some of that white. Typically on those cars that you see out on the road on a down and out ventilated uh, lithium ion battery fire pre pre ignition, it's pretty white. Um, and so you may right. see some stuff burning that looks like fuel burning on the on the ground because it's it's got flame burning down, hitting the concrete and banking out to the to the outside of the vehicle. <clears throat> you may be like, oh, man, there's 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 a fuel line ruptured underneath that thing. Well, again, this goes back to identifying the vehicle. Uh, does it right. have fuel lines? And then the, the real thing is, is it will be burning at twenty eight hundred degrees. So that flame is is red hot. Right. And it's very clean burning. Uh, but what is happening outside of that is white gas. Right. And if it was fuel burning, it would be black. So that kind of gives you an idea. You're going to see like white gas coming off of something that you would think is burning fuel line. And it's actually just lithium. And all the white gas that's coming off of it is is pretty white. I mean, it's pretty, pretty clean clean looking right so i mean with all due respect clean not not to breathe in just no color <laughs> it, just, it looks it looks clean yes but it but i would say to you at a much more minute level if you look at reading smoke and we talk about violent you know aggressive fire pushing out the eaves whatever with pressurize all that stuff that we've been taught all our our career uh, stick with it because if you look at, at that e-bike fire that thing was pretty ag aggravated and as it right. got aggravated, it, if you see that that bike or you see that car and it's a light, wispy gas, well, you probably have some time before that thing is going to rip. If right. you see it being aggravated, it's got pressure behind it and the gas is still white, but it has got pressure behind it. That thing is getting ready to rip really, really soon. So use the pressure and volume to your advantage. Don't necessarily worry about the color. Because it can be different. So I like that question. That's the best way to probably um, go through that process. Awesome. All right. I'm looking here and see if it loaded. Come on. No, it didn't load. All right. Let me do this. Keep. We can keep going and I'll, I'll keep hammering this. Yeah. Um, are there concerns with uh, how large batteries are being installed in homes as backups and is there a push that you know of towards home appliances like stoves and things like that that are going to be using lithium ion for efficiency and backup in the future? Um, I, good question. I don't know that. I will tell you that everything is in the transition phase. I mean, it's incredible how much is transitioning um, all the way from, I mean, just think about your lawn equipment. Nowadays, they're just trying to put your lawn equipment into a complete lithium ion batteries. So Everything is changing at an at like an incredible rate, and, and it's hard to say that they would do that because um, gas isn't really a, an enemy to 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 our environment. What they're trying to fix is is obviously green gases for our environment. So until it becomes that big of a problem, I think we'll still have gas ranges and and stuff like that. Do I think like an electric oven could change to that? God, I don't know. I mean, it, it would sh it wouldn't shock me, put it that way. But I don't have right. an I don't have an answer for you on it. Right. All right. Let's see if that loaded on there. Um, where where can people go? Obviously, you do this training, and like, um, that's awesome. But where where else can people go? Whether it's online or or whatever to 
to raise awareness for themselves for these um, these issues? Well, um, selfishly, me, of course. Don't go anywhere oh, else. That's... Just call me. I don't really. I don't want you to go anywhere else. No. Um, that's just because <laughs> I enjoy getting out there. Um, there really isn't anything yet. I mean, I know at, at NFPA right now we are finishing the the car fire. But it is very, very basic. That's the problem is, is anything that can be released over the web right now is going to be yep. very basic and, and it's going to be short stuff. It's going to be like a an hour PowerPoint, virtual PowerPoint that you can take online. Well, if, if you don't have somebody reading it to you that knows the understanding of these batteries and the dynamics of the fire behavior, you're just reading death by PowerPoint, which is really hard to like put into perspective of what it's like to be a firefighter unless you're enthralled in this stuff and you're just doing it so much. So right. it, there's stuff out there, but you're going to have to take a little bit from everybody, right? Like I'm on a SAE 12, uh, 2990 committee, which is like a battery committee. And they just, they're guys that are brilliant about batteries. I'm not, and I don't care about that, but I need right. to know how do I transition that into the fire service and how do I <laughs> understand like, what is that potential for that fire behavior based off of what the, the, the the chemical reaction is with these batteries. So I am involved in that. I'm involved with NFPA, which is training. I'm involved with UL that's doing the certifications and the testings. But there's also times where I'm watching videos of how the manufacturers are making it. I travel to different manufacturers and talk to the engineers. You would have you just have to do the same thing. Go to a dealership and talk to them about where's the location of their batteries. Uh, pop the, the, the battery, uh, the, the rear seat up and take a look at what's underneath there and, right. or look underneath the car. And so there is no way that you're going to get the information that you want out of this without putting in the work. Or like I said, selfishly just hit me up and, uh, and I can come out and, and teach a class. And, and I, I gotta, I hopefully have not had a single bad review. Uh, things seem to be going pretty good for me. So I should make the class pretty fun. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. I think, uh, going back to, uh, Phil from Newton, he said that he was uh, looking at having you guys out, I think, or something like that, or maybe he already had you out or something. Yeah, I, I got, I've been uh, all over New Hampshire, been to Boston, I've been to, I've been to North Carolina, and and uh, dude, I love it. I love getting to meet these people, and I, honestly, I stick true to my my guns when I say that. Like, what I love the most is that I'm able to. Um, I'm able to learn from these guys because I don't, I, I don't know the tactics. I don't have all those answers. I like to see some of these dialed in firefighters being like, dude, have you ever tried this? And I'm like, that right. actually might work. I have not even thought of that. So the whole reason I love getting out there is because I then take that information and then I'll go back to UL and, and I almost bring it to him. I say, this is what we should test. We should test this because this guy told me That's this. Awesome. Um, so this is that picture just to show you this happened uh, less than two weeks ago. Uh, that's, that's called a, a four by E Jeep Wrangler which is a plug-in electric uh, vehicle. And basically what happened is the manufacturer, the, the homeowner installed his own level two charger in there, which is a huge no-no. The car is built very, very well. Shouldn't have done this where it went into this thermal runaway the way it did. But you're going to have people fabricating their own charging units in their house. There's nothing to say that they can't do that. And it basically right. was pushing too much of a charge into this battery. It threw it into a thermal runaway. And when you take a look at those guys right there, you look at the garage door right there, the frame of it bent down. Well, here's where the garage door ended up. So um, shattered, right? Blew the glass out. If you look at the glass is shattered. 
if you look inside there, look at how clean that that interior is. There's not a whole lot of fire there. The fire wasn't the problem. It was all the gases right. being ignited. That's the problem. And so that's why you have to slow way down. I will tell people this too. If you go on a garage fire and there's black smoke chugging out of that thing and you know it's aggravated, it's on fire, right? At that point in time, I don't give a shit what's inside there. It's on fire. There's no way it's going to really explode. It's already actively burning all of those gases that have the potential to, to create an explosion. The, the concern isn't when it's on fire. The concern is showing up too early and it's not on fire yet. Those are the investigations behind that. That's the stuff that's going to take, take you out. Um, so also right. don't have a fear and, and sit there and go, well, should we set back? I mean, this thing is burning. This thing is ripping inside this house, but it could have a lithium battery in there. No, go, go back to fire 101. Like there is no way that that thing will explode. If there is a flame inside that is actively burning that product off. It's just when that product is not being burned off. That's the stuff that's, that's going to, it's the, the buildup of the gases and the simultaneous ignition, which the fire doesn't allow that to happen. C correct. Correct. Yep. Right. Um, do you have any, and I, we're going to wrap up soon. So for, uh, people in the audience, uh, our friend Paul here came off a, a pretty, pretty gnarly 48 hour shift and is just banging some energy drinks to get through this. So we'll, uh, we'll let, we'll let him go here in a couple of minutes, but, um, any tips or tools that you have for homeowners, drivers, and consumers for minimizing their risk to both damage and safety? I know you said about not plugging in some of these un, un, uh, unrated batteries into you know your kid's room and things like that, but anything else that you have? Yeah, so it's pretty extensive. You know, um, This is another part of the training aspect I try to get at is this is the consumer. If you're going to charge a lithium, I mean, I you know people ask me all the time, do you drive on an electric vehicle? And uh, the answer is fuck no. No, I'm just joking. Uh, would I? <laughs> would I? Yes, I would. Um, I would drive one, but I wouldn't park it in my garage and I probably wouldn't drive around with it with my kids in it. Okay. So it's got a very specific uh, <laughs> usage and that's just to drive me to work and back. So I don't have to pay for gas. Um, if you're, I have a eco uh, lawnmower. It's all the components are battery operated. It's lithium ion batteries. Dude, I love the thing and it works great. But what I do with the batteries is I charge them when I charge them and I stay outside in the yard working in the yard. And when they're charged, I take them off the charger. I also have those plugged into a, um, a, 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 a um, what do you call those um, strips? Um, what is it? Like the power strips? Yeah, power strip. Thank you. I have them plugged into a power strip with an on and off switch because it can trip and it will trip at that power strip. And then that's plugged into my wall. So if anything was to go into a malfunction, I kind of have a safety thing, but I still turn it off. When it's done charging, I turn it off. I take the batteries off. Charge your scooter at home. Do whatever you want to do. Charge it in the garage and then take it off the charger. Set a timer, whatever it is for it to be charged. I know it seems like a pain in the butt, but if you're going to buy this thing, uh, it's it's not that big of a pain in the butt uh, versus worth with what this could do to your home. Right. Um, the cars, they're pretty built to do what they're supposed to do. They, I mean, if they're going to fail, they're going to fail. You're not going to fix that problem. You don't need to go out there and unplug your car. It's, it's designed to shut itself down when it shuts itself down. They, they actually, a it's odd, but like a hundred percent of a lithium ion battery on like a car like that is actually only charged to 80% or something like that. It's like 87%. It says a hundred to you, but it will never let it get to a hundred percent because overcharging these vehicles 
will cause them to go into fire and over discharging them will cause them to go into fire. So it will also never let your battery go below uh, like a certain percentage as well. And that's the same with your phone. Um, that's why your phone, if it dies, the battery dies, you can always turn it back on for a second. It will let you look at it and then it shuts off again. It, it, it is dead to you and it says it's 0%, but there's actually still like 10% battery left in there. It just doesn't want you to use it because it will cause it to ignite on fire, possibly. Interesting. So, you know, all of those things um, for safety reasons, I will tell you the biggest safety concern I can tell people for consumers across the, the, the country is you have to be very, very knowledgeable on your car. Um, and what I mean by that is, Electric vehicles run off of electricity. That means the parking brake runs off electricity. The transmission runs off electricity. The doors run off of electricity. The locks run off of electricity. If it loses power, it loses electricity to your doors. There is a different way to get out of your door than the standard door handle usage that you've been using every day. That may mean that you need to pull the door handle twice. That may mean that you have a separate lever that is a mechanical uh, over electrical latch, but it is not where your normal daily door handle is. It is located somewhere else in the vehicle and you need to know where that is. And that's why I won't drive around with my kids in one is because if, if something was to happen, um, I would have to be, have the confidence that my kids would know where that mechanical over electrical latch is to pull it. And if they aren't at that age yet, I'm not even going to risk it. And so what not a problem, right? This isn't an issue. People are very, it's the same way I would tell a, a person on the street as a public education thing, just to say, listen, do you train to get out of your house if it catches on fire? They're like, yep, or no, whatever. Uh, I would say, just do the same thing for the car. If, you, if you're going to own one right. of these cars, make sure you understand and read, which is called the emergency response guide and ERG, uh, read that. And it will tell you if you lose 12 volt battery power, um, just, just to give you an example here, uh, this is what an ERG looks like. Um, sure that go here, right here. You know, if you look down here at the bottom or right here at the top, it says to open the Model Y front door with the from the inside without 12 volt battery power, lift the mechanical release handle located near the window switches. And if you look at the picture, it's different, right? That's not where you open your door every single day. Where you open your right. door is actually right here, which is a little push button. And then it says only the front doors are equipped with this mechanical release handle. So that means your rear doors don't have that same handle. They have a different way for you to get out. And so... By encouraging people to actually read what that means, uh, that will prevent people from getting trapped in these things. And once you know that you can just pull that handle and get out, then then you're fine. But uh, right. those are some of the things that I would tell you got to be pressed uh, to to the public out there or consumer about about all all of it, everything from scooters to cars. The right. rest no, of knowing to, what it is, yeah, and the rest of it's up to us. You know, are we going to be able to handle this thing? I I I hope we get there. I think, like I told you, eight times last year, my PowerPoint changed, and and I and I'm sure it will continue to change as I continue to do some tests and we continue to work real hard to save save some firefighters' lives. But it's right. ever evolving, and there's not enough. I feel like I have a lot of information to provide people. It's not always the answers that they're looking for because we're still just trying to get those answers. And I think that's I think that's important because people want answers on how to do this. And I think it's important sometimes for people to know that that answer might not be there. So 
we have to make the best tactical decisions we can make with the knowledge that we're given. And, uh, you know, thankfully people like you are out here trying to spread as much information as possible so we can make those decisions, um, you know, with a little bit of education behind them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, and I love doing it. I'm very happy, very blessed to be able to do it. You know, I can't thank the God, uh, the Lord enough about being able to let me do this stuff. So I'm very happy to do it. Uh, it does no stress off my back. Obviously there's fees associated with it, you know, because I can't travel right. for free, but um, I, I enjoy meeting the firefighters out there that are passionate about it, that want to learn a little bit more and want to, and want to try to keep everybody safe. And so I'm going to be there to answer some questions and help out wherever I can. Uh, and that's, that's my ultimate goal with this company and, and where the direction I'm going right now with it. So awesome. Yeah. Um, so we'll, uh, I think that's a good wrapping up point. We're about an hour and a half in. So, um, before we go, is there any, any last minute thing that you would have liked to get out today that maybe the question didn't come across or anything you want to leave us with? And then, um, finally, can you just tell people a FDIC next week, um, when you're, or how they can find your class there? Um, and how they can get a hold of you um, if they're looking to bring you in for a class or something in the future. Yeah. So to start with the first one, which is out at FDIC, I don't, I think I go out on the 20, I, I'll have to look. I think I go out on the 24th and I teach on Thursday, I think is what it is. It's Thursday at, I think, 1.30. I'll be out there the 25th through the 28th. I'm not staying the entire time. Uh, feel free to message me on Facebook to meet up feel free to call me. I don't care. My cell phone is, is always on me uh, to chat and go grab a beer. If anybody wants to just uh, just get together, I'm, I'm, I'm game. I'm going to just be cruising around and trying to listen to some other instructors teach me some stuff. And, and that's, that's kind of what I enjoy doing this for. And I learn, like I said, from those people as well. So um, my class though, as far as it, I think it's just called lithium ion batteries, something about tactics uh, for suppression, something like that. But it's definitely on that Thursday. And uh, again, expect a very downgraded if you do show up. It's it's only an hour and 45 minutes in, in a four and a half hour PowerPoint. So it will give you some information, but I, you know, I, I have a, already a feeling people are going to be like, I want more and or it just didn't answer all of my questions. And unfortunately, they're hour 45 minute time slots and it's just banging them out. You know, we got to get get all these instructors out there. So um, right. my phone number, it's just... Uh, you know, for anybody who wants to write it down, I don't care. It's just 720-355-8375. It's also public. You can find it. Um, and then really, if you're looking at scheduling classes or information on scheduling classes, it's just nextlevelextrication at gmail.com. And then I always ask people, you know, when I teach a class uh, to come find me on Facebook, uh, give me a like and a follow because that, that helps me communicate to more people. And uh, I'm also on Instagram as well. And I, and I always tend to try to post some sort of valuable information on there, whether it's, it's huge to you or, or very minuscule. I'm always trying to post something out there to, to keep, keep the, the thought moving in people's minds about these things. So, and that's everything I still do extrication. I mean, I'm teaching, I'm helping teach a three-day extrication class the first week in May. So I still do extrication. Awesome. So when I post things, I'll post things about extrication and, and fire stuff. So. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, we really appreciate you, uh, taking the time to do this again. Uh, just a big thank you to Phil from Newton for, uh, for tagging us in the post you put up. Um, we, this has been awesome. This is, this is our only our second time ever going live and, um, the first time kind of doing it like this. So 
hopefully everybody out there thought it went really well. Um, did we get thing. a lot? Of, did we get a lot of questions? I, I mean, I know you probably couldn't get to all of them. I'm just curious if there was a ton. Yeah, of I think we answered most of them, but um, I'll 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 throw this out there too because we talked about it. If if people have other questions or people who are watching this video um, after the live date that have a question, feel free to leave a comment, and then uh, we we had already talked about it at some point trying to do a follow up and maybe answering some more of those questions. And like you said, your your stuff changes five times a year. So maybe different information, you know, next time we're able to speak. Um, so same thing too. Uh, if you, if you don't follow us on our social media, please give us a like and a follow subscribe to the channel. And, um, unless you have anything else, uh, Paul, I think we'll uh, let it go there and let you, uh, take a nap, man. Uh, I appreciate it. If anybody wants to send me some patches, I'm trying to build that. We'll, we'll, yeah. We'll send you one. Okay. Yeah. I love sure. it. I, lo I love it. I love it. All right. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate this uh, this time you spent with me and setting all this up. I know it's a lot of work. So equally, I want to return that uh, thank you to you guys as well. Even the back office back there. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to stay in touch. So let me know. And, and, and if we ever want to do some more of this later down the road, uh, we can we can hammer out some more stuff later. Yeah, I'd love to, man. I'd love to. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you in the next episode.